if you could be any person with any title in the world, what would you want to be? Just think about that question for a minute. What would you want to be? Who, who would you want to be? Jesus, as we contemplate that question, it is astounding that you existed as God. You weren't dreaming, you weren't wishing, you weren't you you are you were and are and always have been God. Lord, I uh, I just plead with you that now, as, as we uh, share a few moments together, that you guide my words because I want to accurately represent truth about you. Please, Holy Spirit, guide me and, and uh, help all of our ears to hear truth. And may you be glorified. I have a confession to make. I want to be a slave I want to be a slave. And the reason I want to be a slave is that's what Jesus was. Now, we we use more of the term servant, bond servant. But Jesus chose, he chose to be a slave. Because he wanted to get something done, something extremely special. And that's what was required. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Excuse me. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a huge passage right there. That is a it's a monumental statement 
that our whole hope is based upon. Look at verses 3 and 4. I'll I'll read them again for you. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. We touched on this last week. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How many of you find that easy to do? Anybody? No, absolutely not. That is so contrary to human nature. It is so contrary. It's a struggle. And yet that's what we are called to do. We are, to, we are called to be like Jesus, and we are called to do what verses 3 and 4 just told us. Put every, everyone else first. Look out for their interests instead of our own. In order to do that, there needs to be some supernatural help. Because, I mean, I, I try and do that, and there's brief moments where I can do okay. But unless I am really in Christ, that is, that is beyond. It is certainly beyond my flesh. That is not natural. We need Jesus. And we need... According to these verses, we need Jesus' attitude. We need to take on the attitude of Christ. Now, an attitude is, I I asked Siri about this, and Siri said an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So, an attitude affects how we end up treating other people. Our attitude affects how we will behave. And that's why I want us to look at this very closely. Number one, our Lord and Savior chose to be a slave. He actually chose that. He existed as God, and yet, in order to reach us and redeem us, he chose to be a slave. This is, this is astounding. It's incredible. But it's real, and it's beautiful. Again, Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus." who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't cling to it, he didn't hang on to it, even though it was rightfully his. He did not have to do this. He did not have to set aside the beauty and the majesty and the benefits of existing as God. They were his. But he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, even death on a cross. Now I want us to think for a minute about this term bond servant is what uh, the New American Standard uses here. And a bond servant, uh, the uh, definition of it says, it's a person in service without wages. 
a servant is a person in service without wages. And I, I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago by John MacArthur. Love, love listening to John. And uh, John was talking about something that he discovered uh, not real long ago, that the term that almost always in English is translated bondservant really should be translated slave. But I think we know in our culture that the whole term slave is, has just such a negative connotation. It's such a, such a negative connotation that even our interpreters of Scripture are reluctant to use that term. It's just so severe. In fact, John said that he was, he was consulted by one of the, the latest uh, 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 in, versions of Scripture to be brought out, and they wanted his approval. They wanted him to make a statement that this is really a good uh, version and so on. And he asked him, how did you interpret this word? And the guy kind of sheepishly said, uh, bondservant. And John said, you know, that's not, that's not as accurate as it could be. And the guy kind of squirmed and said, I know. It's kind of uncomfortable to use the term slave. And yet that really is the more accurate interpretation of the word that we interpret bondservant. Now, the definition of slave as opposed to bondservant is this. A person who is forced to work for and obey another and is considered to be their property. That's a slave. Now, that's pretty significantly different than a person in service without wages. That whole belongs uh, being property of another. That's quite a statement. Paul speaks over and over again in in, uh, his letters. And he calls himself a bondservant, more accurately, a slave of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. And nobody wants to be a slave because of the connotations in our culture that we think of. We think of uh, the, the 1600s, eight, uh, 1700s, when slavery was a huge thing in our, even in America, and people were abused. Not always. In fact, that's something that's something for another day. But so we see this. And we're kind of afraid to consider it. And yet Paul uses that term numerous times. And Jesus says that he became. And in some some different paraphrases and versions, it's interpreted Jesus became a slave. Being made in likeness of men. I want you to keep that in mind, that difference. It's pretty significant. Jesus chose to become 
a slave to give up all of his rights and put himself under a master. Now, here's the cool thing for him. The master, in his case, is his father. So we know that he didn't have the the fear that uh, many would have in this world because masters in this world can be evil. But the father is good. And yet Jesus was willing to, to take this role, take this station, and suffer all that came with it, setting aside his incredible privileges to be a slave to the master, to accomplish the purpose of redeeming you and I. Number two, Jesus chose to be a slave because he trusted the master. He trusted the master. He knew he was going to suffer, but it wasn't an abuse without purpose. It was not suffering without purpose. There was an awesome purpose involved. Totally planned, totally understood, totally desired by the Father so that you and I could be redeemed. And so Jesus was willing. In John 17, verses 24 to 26, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not yet known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So he chose this station knowing that he was going to be a slave for this time and for this purpose but with the complete understanding that the Father was a perfect master and there was a great plan. (laughs) I remember when I was a boy and my dad was a pastor and we were at this one church that had a paved parking lot behind the church. And it was up on a little bit of a rise, a bit bit of a hill. And um, my, my brother had a Stingray bicycle, my older brother. And my older brother loved to torture and torment me. Now, it was very crucial for me to stand up for myself and not act scared when he was trying to to make me scared. So one day he he took his, I was riding the Stingray bicycle around the parking lot. And he come running up and he jumped on, you know, I had the little banana seat so you could get two kids. He jumped on the back of the thing and he, and he put his arms around me uh, and grabbed the handlebars. And he said, you put your feet up on the, on the bars in between where it comes. He said, I'm going to take you for a ride. Well, I knew this couldn't be good. I knew it couldn't be good. And yet I had to prove that I wasn't afraid. So I did it. And sure enough, he went around the parking lot and he he got around and he started heading toward the end of the parking lot where there's a drop-off. And this drop-off was about as, as tall as a fence. 
and there was a fence at the bottom of the drop-off because there was a field right there. So we're going right towards this drop-off, and I know he's trying to get me to squeal and and, uh, fuss about it, and uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to prove to him I'm I'm courageous. And we go steaming across the parking lot towards this hill, and at the last second, I knew he was going to turn or stop. He didn't. He jumped off the back and let me go flying over the edge. And I ended up hanging there in the fence and just was in total shock. And he's, in the meantime, just laughing and laughing. He thought that was great fun. I trusted Tom. Well, I really didn't, but I put myself in his hands and it didn't turn out good. He's not the kind of master you want to trust. I love Tom, though. Good guy. Number three, Jesus chose to set aside privilege. Jesus chose to set aside privilege. Now remember, these are the attitudes that we need to adopt. Philippians 2, 5 to 7 again. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus chose to set aside the privileges of existing in the form of God. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Praise the Lord. He was willing to set all of it aside out of love for you and I. He chose to set aside his privileges. Number four, Jesus chose servanthood. He chose servanthood. Again, uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 7, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. He came and he served. He washed the feet of the disciples. He loved. He wept. He suffered the the indignation of being in these crude little bodies. What, what that must have been like for him who existed as, as God in absolute perfection and majesty to squeeze into one of these little bodies. That must have been really uh, quite, a, quite a deal. But he chose to serve. My wife uh, used to frustrate me. We would go to a grocery store And I'm a guy who's always on a mission. I just want to get in, get what we need, and get out. I'm on a mission. I just want to be able to check it off and get back home to relax or whatever. We'd go to a grocery store, and I'd be going along. We'd be looking for something, and next thing you know, she's not there with me. And I have to go, oh, she's back there, and there's... There's an elderly lady who can't reach something up on the shelf, a pie, and she's taking care of it for her. And this would happen everywhere. 
She was always stopping and just loving and serving and giving. And it frustrated me because <laughs> I'm on a mission. It was actually very beautiful. And I had to learn to lighten up. I had to learn to quit being so selfish and let her serve and love others, not just me. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, it's an interesting thing. Our flesh has such a desire to be served. <laughs> we always want someone else to take care of us, do things for us. We want honor. We want to be served. Jesus deserved all the honor, actually deserved to be served, yet set it aside to love and serve others. Number five, Jesus chose absolute obedience to the Father. Now this is crucial. Absolute obedience to the Father. This was not easy for him. We sometimes, I think, uh, think, okay, he's, he's God. You know, was this really a big deal for him to come and suffer in this way? He knew it was going to be a temporary thing. You know, I know when I'm going to a dentist, and I know it's going to be a temporary thing, but I, I still, my heart, my heart rate gets up. I have to keep telling myself, just go. You're going to be all right. You're going to live. You're going to survive. I had some bad experiences when I was a kid, but I'm, I'm still terrified of, of going to the dentist. I got to go tomorrow. Jesus knew what was coming, but chose to come. He chose absolute obedience. Verse 8 in chapter 2 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. I, I don't know. If I had the choice, if, if I had, even knowing it would be a temporary thing, I mean, that lasted. His, his being beaten and tortured and nails through the hand, whipped with spikes, thorns on his brow, spit on. He didn't have to take any of that. But he chose. He chose to endure it all. John 5.19 says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Do you hear that? He would not do a thing outside of what he knew was the heart and desire of the Father. Absolute obedience. They were one in, in every way. Absolute obedience. Unless it is something I, that he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does these things, the Son also does in like manner. 
Then John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this gets us back to that slave deal. This was total, total submission. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there and the time is coming and he knows it's coming and he's praying. And even at this point, if you don't think this was difficult, uh, he's in the garden praying and he's pleading with the guys, come on, pray with me, pray with me. I think he just needed somebody to be there and <laughs> give him some encouragement. He was suffering. He was suffering in every way. And it says that he sweat as it were drops of blood. And I, I won't go into the medical uh, detail behind that. But it, I mean the intense agony that he was going through in order to stay there and take what was coming. It was immense. Yet Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Absolute obedience. Number six, Jesus chose to be a living sacrifice in this world. Verse eight again, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Matthew 16, 21 to 23 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Oh, forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. <laughs> Isn't that something? It had to be real tempting right there to say, you know what, you're right, Peter. That's ridiculous. Why should I endure this? But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And here he existed, fully man, fully God, and yet fully man. But he continued to live to die sacrificially. I think most of you probably heard the story of Jim Elliott, a very sharp young man who uh, was a pilot, had the whole world before him. He could have done just about anything, gone anywhere, made lots of money. But he loved Jesus. And he heard about these tribes down in South America that had never heard the story of Christ. And he and a couple buddies chose to go. Now they knew that, these, that there were cannibals, there were uh, headhunters in these tribes. And yet they chose willingly to sacrifice all the things that most people hold on 
fight for tooth and nail. They said, no thanks, there's more important things to do. And off they went. And sure enough, it cost him his life. He was found, he and, his, and a friend were found uh, having been slaughtered. And yet their sacrifice ended up with the salvation of hundreds if not thousands from those tribes that they were trying to reach out to. That was just the beginning, but it was a great turning point. And others were, were able to go later and tell why those men came and sacrificed their lives. Jesus, again, in Luke 9, verse 51, it says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he was determined to obey. Another version says he, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He resolutely, it was not easy, but he said, I'm going to do this no matter what. What a Savior, amen? What a beautiful, beautiful Savior that he would do all this. Well, here, now let's look, the reward for Jesus' choices. Because he chose to be a slave, because he chose to set aside the benefits of deity, because he chose sacrificial living, because he chose absolute obedience. It says in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus is worthy. Now, he existed as God. He was awesome before all this. He was awesome. He was God. But that he would do these things. You know, I think of the, uh, the gods of the Greek, the, the gods of uh, the Romans, and so on. They're always selfish. They're always demanding servitude. They're always grasping for more for themselves. It's interesting, the other gods that man has created and what they are like, as opposed to who our Savior is. Amen? Again, Jesus chose humility. And because of this, the Father exalts him. Jesus chose servanthood. And the Father bestows on him the name above every other name. Jesus chose absolute obedience. And the Father bestows absolute lordship. To him. Jesus chose sacrifice, and the Father is rewarding him then with eternal worship from every other being. He is worthy.
He is worthy because of what he has chosen. Now, again, we are called to be like Jesus. That doesn't mean just going around and and being really sweet and nice to everyone. It means choosing the same things that he chose. And you and I need to count the cost. Are we really, do we really want to be like Jesus? Really? Because that's not, that's not very beautiful and exciting in this world. That's not what our culture tells us is a, is a life worth living. But they're wrong. They're wrong. There's no higher calling. And that is why our Savior receives the highest reward. But you and I are called to be like Christ, aren't we? Number seven, to be like Jesus is to be a slave. That's why I said earlier, I, I want to be a slave. But again, that doesn't come natural. I want to be a slave to God Almighty. I want to be an absolute, submitted, obedient, surrendered, passionate slave of the living God. Because there's no higher calling in the world. The President of the United States is way less important than the precious man or woman in this place who chooses to be a slave of the Most High God, to be a servant of the King of Kings, to sacrifice this world for the next. The great quote that uh, Jim Elliott says is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Brothers and sisters, if we choose to live as servants of the king, the reward will be awesome. It will be far greater than the temporary rewards of this earth. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28 says this, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. What you were willing to endure, what you did 
in setting aside the privileges and glory of heaven to come into one of these little shells and endure the madness of evil, twisted human beings is astounding and wonderful. You're magnificent. You truly are worthy of all praise. We give you glory and honor. We choose to bow before you now. One day every knee will bow before you. Every tongue will confess that you are Lord of all. We choose today willingly because we have seen your glory. We love you and praise you, Jesus. But Jesus, we need your help, and you know that. (laughs) We really do want to be like you. Jesus, we invite you again tonight. Continue to transform us. Help us to remember that we have died with you. Our flesh has died with you, and we are now a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's how we want to live, Jesus. We actually want to live as slaves of the Most High God. We want to live lives of servanthood, sacrifice in this short life so that we can share in your beautiful glory and in your presence and hear you say, well done, good and faithful slave, good and faithful servant. So Jesus Have your way with us. Keep changing us. Keep drawing us. We pray this in your holy, powerful name. And again, you are our only hope. Amen.